Good morning, Light City. Uh, I just want to take a second really quick to thank each of you for watching, for spending a few minutes with us this morning, uh, wherever you are and whatever situation you find yourself in. I am absolutely confident that God is with you and that he wants to use this message today to continue to speak identity and purpose to you for the amazing life that he has set out for you. And if you're a guest or you're new to this channel, uh, it's no accident that you're here. And if you will give us a bit of your morning, I know that you will leave absolutely empowered and encouraged. Well, I want to jump in this morning, but before I do, make sure that you like this video, that you subscribe to our channel, and that you turn on the notification bell so that you're notified every time that we go live or that we post some new great content. Uh, also, if you haven't had a chance to give yet uh, and you want to partner with us to continue to preach the gospel to our community and really to around the world, there are links in our description box just below. Uh, or if you're on our website right now, there's a give button uh, up in the top of the menu bar. Uh, well, this morning, I'm going to continue with uh, probably one of my favorite series we've done, the Made Well series. And we are sadly in our fifth and final week. Uh, and what a month, man, what a month it has been. We've talked about the wonder. We talked about the war, the walls, the whisper. And today, to close it all out, I've titled my message, The Wild. You know, isn't there something just so open, so adventurous, so limitless about the wild. You know, the opportunities are endless. The freedom is boundless. You know, it's that feeling of being completely unchained, you know, uninhibited. uninhibited. And, and, you know, that's at least what I had in my head when we were planning this week's service. Uh, basically, the over-romanticization implanted in my brain by Hollywood and and ultimately, I think by Tarzan. Uh, but when I really started to think about the wild, I realized that it's actually nothing like that. You know, the uninhibited quickly turns to uncertain. You know, as I put myself in this jungle scene, you know, I quickly realized that I don't know how to survive in the wild. You know, I don't know how to hunt. Uh, I don't know how to use a compass. Uh, I just don't, you know, I don't know how. And the passage of scripture that we're going to start with this morning is Mark chapter 4, verse 26 says, he, being Jesus, also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how, all by itself. The soil produces the grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And God knows the order in which things need to happen in our lives. And trusting him is, you know, in one sense, just allowing him to do not only what he wants to do, but when he wants to do it. And this is what we talked about last week with the story of Joseph, you know, not chasing our dreams, but chasing after Jesus. In fact, wherever you are in your room right now, touch someone in the room with you and say, there's an order to this. Because when you get things out of order, they stop working. So that's why spending your money before you tithe is just a bad idea. 
because it's out of order. That's why sex before marriage is a dangerous proposition. You know, too much, too soon. You know, now he doesn't value you. Instead, he objectifies you. And there's an order to things, right? There's an order to everything. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I've realized my time with God goes a lot better if I start with, you know, thank you for what you have already done. You know, I've got some things that I need. I've got some unresolved issues that I want to bring before you. But first of all, God, I want to thank you because someone this morning is lying on a ventilator and I'm not. And I have breath in my body. And you said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And, and I got breath to praise the Lord. You know, so right now, you know, in spite of how I'm feeling, in spite of what I'm going through, I just want to give you praise. There's an order. And then comes the results, you know, as verse 29 says this, as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it. And some of us simply put the sickle to stuff too soon before it has had a chance to take root. And, you know, we spend our money oftentimes to impress people and because we don't know when to use what God has given us. So as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. But the real focus of this message this morning is going to be verse 27b, the second half, and 28a, the first half. It says, The seed sprouts and grows day and night. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprout and grows, though he does not know how. And that's the key phrase this morning. He does not know how. And then it says, all by itself, the soil produces grain. And so to me, that made me think about grace, right? And that made me think about God's sovereignty. And that made me wonder if I'm staying up stressing about stuff, that if I would just get out of my own way and let God deal with it the way that only he knows how to deal with things, I would be so much better off. Right, you know, so, so what I came to tell you today is that the dirt knows what to do. So Mark gives us, you know, so much context about Jesus's ministry. But we also want to take a moment now and pause and look at some of the content of his ministries. You know, uh, I'm so excited next month, I'll give you a little teaser. Next month, we're getting ready to devote the entire month to talking about Jesus. You know, and so I've been reading about him and I've been studying about him. And we see this in this passage of scripture. You know, his teaching is creating opposition at the same time that it's making an impact, right? And, and by the way, you know, that's the case with everything, right? Everything that makes impact creates opposition, right? And, and you know this, right? You know, can I, can I tell you something that will make you perk up this morning? That if the devil is messing with you right now, it's because he considers you a threat, right? In fact, the majority of Jesus's ministry created controversy. You know, it makes me want to go back and have a conversation again with one pastor. You know, I had a conversation with him, and, and then I asked him, you know, kind of very casually, what's your goal in ministry? And 
he said that my goal is, is that if I have a, ever have a Wikipedia page, you know, which I guess in the context now is strange, hypothetical, you know, I have a hypothetical Wikipedia page, but you know, it, it, this is his goal for ministry. And he said that on this Wikipedia page, he said, I hope there's no controversy section. And he said this was his main goal in ministry, but by the very standard of, by that standard, Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus Christ was the ultimate ministry failure, right? Everywhere Jesus went, people were threatened. You know, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were threatened by Jesus. He was upsetting their entire system. You know, their, their, their system was being overturned by the things that he was speaking and by the things that he was doing. But not only that, but we see the demons were also threatened by Jesus. That every time he got in the presence of an impure spirit, it started shrieking and convulsing and, you know, begging and falling down at his feet. And, you know, and it's a funny thing because the demons knew better who Jesus was than the teachers of the law did, right? And I think that that's so crazy. You know, the demons saw Jesus and fell down at his feet, you know, and the teachers of the law, they saw Jesus and they crossed their arms to judge him. And you know, I had this funny thought as I was preparing this, that sometimes we should actually be more like the demons, right? That then we should look like them more than the religious people because at least the demons knew, you know, this guy's in charge, right? At least the demons knew that he had all power. At least the demons knew this guy's not ordinary. He's not average. He's not common, but this is the son of God. And this is the formation of Jesus's identity. You know, all the controversy and all the compassion of Jesus, they were both growing together, right? Both growing together. The wheat and the tares, right? And that's one parable that Jesus used. It's not the parable that we're talking about the, today, you know, this morning, but he was talking about the wheat grows right beside all the weeds, right? And the weeds grow and they want to choke out the wheat. And, and what we tend to want to do that is reflected in this parable in Matthew chapter 13 is to separate the weeds from the wheat. But Jesus said, both grow together. They have to. It's an eschatological principle, but it also has practical implications in our lives that both grow together. As God is drawing you into a deeper relationship and a more consistent communion with him, there will also be a more consistent sense of conflict to accompany the communion because both grow together. And don't be confused about it. And don't try to judge and, you know, try to separate your experience. What, you know, separate what you think is the good stuff from what you think is the bad stuff. Because God uses both in our life to develop identity. Now, with that context established, Jesus is teaching us about the nature and manifestation of the kingdom of God in our lives and our faith. Right? And if you've been at Light City for pretty much longer than five minutes, you have most definitely heard the parable of the different types of soil uh, that he starts with in the beginning of Mark chapter 4. And, you know, he's getting into this idea that there's 
always seed going forth, that God is always speaking to you about your identity, about your destiny, about your purpose. You know, I've thought recently that, you know, we need to stop asking God to speak to us and simply start listening. You know, it's the weirdest thing that we pray, and and I'm guilty of it myself. You know, we pray, God, speak to me, you know, speak to me, speak, Lord, speak to me, you know, And, and I realize that if I would just simply shut up, that I would already hear that he is speaking to me. And so seeds, the seeds are always going forth. But while my Bible calls it the parable of the sower, it's really the parable of the soils. And in this passage, he shares with us how there are some seeds that fall onto the path and the birds come and they snatch them up. You know, I'm thinking how many of you have some seed snatchers in your life right now? Some joy thieves, you know, people who want to ruin your day and it's not even 1030 in the morning yet, right? And, you know, here they come trying to snatch the seed. And, you know, how many of you this morning have some seed snatching apps on your phone? Right? You know that one with the bird on it? What's it called? Oh yeah, Twitter. You know, and Jesus said the birds of the air will snatch the seed and grab your attention so that simply, catch this, you don't act on what you heard, but you forget what you've heard. Because I've realized a lot of us have a stash of seed that we've never put in the ground. You know, it's like we've gotten to be these professional seed collectors. You know, we know how to highlight our Bible, how to fill our notebooks with information. We know how to talk right and act right. But without application, without soil, the seed only represents unused potential, you know, unrealized identity and destiny. And to me, that is such a sad thing. Right, Because wouldn't it be sad for God to show you in heaven how much seed you sat on while you were here on earth? Right? And here's the thing. Don't merely listen to the word. Instead, we have to do it. Right? Because here's the thing. You are not blessed by the word that you hear, but you're blessed by the word that you do. Right? If you think we need to know more, you know, I, I found out you know, a long time ago that really I already know enough. Right? Here's the thing. Let me give you a few examples of it. I know that it's bad or it's not right to talk about people, right? And here's the thing. If I would just do that, I think I'd be working like 70 hours a week, right? Just that one alone, right? Here's another. I know that I'm supposed to consider others as more important than myself, right? I know that. You know that. I think you need to chat that this morning, right? Chat that. I know this right? We always want to know more, right? You know, I I want to grow spiritually, but spiritual growth, it's always been a tricky concept to me. Because originally, I thought spiritual growth required more knowledge. And, you know, I don't have any regrets in my life. Um, I don't have many. I do have a few. Uh, You know, one thing, one thing that I regret is that I wish that I would have written a parenting book before I had my kid, right? And it's just something that I think about often, right? How awesome my parenting book would have been if I had written it before I started parenting because the time (laughs) that I knew the most about parenting uh, was before I had a kid, right? And you, you know what? Here's another one. 
I wish I would have written a book about being a pastor before I became one, right? It would have been so profound, right? It would have had diagrams and informational concepts, you know, it would have been grand, you know, it would have been like 775 pages of how to be a pastor. And then all you showed up and you screwed up all my theories about how to be a pastor, right? People messed up my ideas about how to be a pastor, right? Now, now, if I was to write it, it would just be a pamphlet, right? Actually, it wouldn't. It wouldn't even be that. It would just be like an illustrated, you know, the whole book would just be, you know, the prayer emojis, right? It would just be like you'd open it up and there'd be the prayer emojis and that would be the whole book, right? How to be a parent, how to be a pastor, but I knew so much. And you know, I mean, you know this, the people who often in our lives give the most advice are often the ones with the least experience, right? And I, and I tell you what I would do if it were me, you know? Let me tell you what I would do if it were me, right? And, and I mean, I know, and I'm not judging, right? I'm just saying. Okay, so three things real quick. It's right here in the, it's right here in the text. And I know that maybe some of you think that I'm confused or that I'm lost in my notes. Um, but it says that the farmer, right? And this is the crazy part. The farmer who puts the seed in the ground, right? Not the seed on the shelf, but who puts the seed in the soil. And let's look at this verse again. He experiences the maturation of that seed, though he does not know how. I mean, what kind of farmer is this though, right? I mean, if you don't know how the seed grows, you know, at least you could Google it, right? You could find out that the seed needs what? The seed needs light or it needs the correct temperatures. It needs water. And then it needs to be planted in the right place. And, and I can tell you exactly how the seed grows. You know, that's, a, that's exactly how it grows. And, and I can explain that to you, right? And so if the scripture says this, right, this parable which is always used to get us to go beneath the surface to uncover a deeper meaning. If the parable is included in Jesus's illustration of what the kingdom of God is like, right? He said, this is what the kingdom is like. And now we're expecting something spectacular because, you know, it's the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a new concept. Jesus is the first one to use this term. And, and since they're not familiar with this particular concept, Jesus is giving them an earthly illustration. Yet, he doesn't talk about the kingdom of God, you know, like it's Wakanda. You know, he, he doesn't talk about the kingdom of God being like a spaceship or he doesn't talk about the kingdom of God being like, I don't know, a rocket. Instead, he says, and this honestly must have been super anticlimactic for those who gathered to hear his message on this day. He says, <laughs> the kingdom of God is like a seed. And on this alone, we understand that often what God does in our life will feel insignificant. And then it will go into the soil where it will be invisible. And that a lot of the times when God is working in our lives in the greatest ways, 
we won't even know how he's working. We'll be ignorant. You know, that's three eyes. You know, you all know I love that. And you can write that down. Three things about the kingdom of God. It often seems insignificant. It often appears invisible. And often you feel ignorant. So I was thinking about it, that the greatest proof that you're growing in your God identity is sometimes the fact that you don't feel like you're growing in your God identity, right? And here's the thing, I'm sorry for everyone who always needs a goosebump to feel like God is with you. But sometimes the greatest growth in your life is not going to be on the surface of your emotions, your feelings, or your senses. Sometimes the deeper work that God will do is so much greater than the highest work that God will do in your life, right? For what is a building without the foundation? And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's something so small, seemingly so insignificant, and it goes through stages that are so invisible. And a lot of the times you'll feel so ignorant, like the farmer who puts a seed in the ground and doesn't know when he'll see it again, right? Sure, he can water it. Sure, he can plow the ground. And, and, and here's the thing, we have a part to play in the development of our identity, but there is this one other element, the element of faith that I want to talk about today that truthfully I don't hear enough about. And I'm hungry to hear about it because I see a lot of Christians, you know, listening to cute sermons and we're telling you to do things that sound really big, you know, to forgive people, to be free of addictions. But I hear the response from so many people when the pulpit is echoing these lofty ideals and the people are sitting in the pews saying, how? You're telling me what? but you're not telling me how. I don't know how. I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know how to pray for uh, over 13 seconds without thinking about my need for cereal at the grocery store. Come on, who did God pick to be the disciples of Jesus? Did he pick religious professionals with academic know-how? Who did God pick to carry his son? What's the first thing that Mary said when, when the angel of the Lord said to her that the, born, the one born of you is going to be the Holy One of God? How did she reply? She said, how? What's the first thing the disciples said when Jesus said to feed these big crowds? You know, even though you didn't even pack a lunch. What's the first thing that they said? And <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm screaming. But sometimes this concept screams on the inside of me when God calls me to do something, to be something, but I don't know how. I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how to raise this kid. I don't know how. I did before I had her, but now that she's here, I don't know how. I read the book, you know, the baby book, and it told me that if you swaddle your child, but I found out with, that my daughter was unswaddleable. I don't know how she got her arms out. I don't know how. I hear you preaching these great sermons, you know, keep your eyes on Jesus and don't look at the wind and don't look at the waves. But how do I look at something 
that's invisible. I hear what you're saying. And I want what you got. But I don't know how. I don't know how to forgive somebody, but then make sure that I keep an appropriate distance so that they don't continue to violate me. Oh, and then here's a farmer who doesn't know how to make a seed grow. And Jesus says it like that. Growth is like that. There's a part that you will play. And you'll know what to do. You know, you sow, you water, you plow. But you don't have to know how. And I realize that this is the dirty little secret of the kingdom that, you know, they don't want me to tell you, whoever they are, right? They want you to think that God chooses and uses and blesses people who are experts and who are the, you know, epitome of perfection. But I want to tell you who God is looking for. God is looking for fishermen like Peter, prostitutes like Rahab, people who don't know how. That's what God is looking for, humble people. Scripture says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not, not those who are so full of their own wisdom that they can't receive the wisdom of God. So if you came here today with a, I don't know how heart, God can fill you. God will fill what was empty before. I don't have to know how. I don't have to know how it works, right? If I did, I would still have to be at my house because I drove my Volkswagen here and I have no idea how that key told my tires to spin right? I have a little bit of a concept, but not very much. But I found out something about my car that I found out about God. I found out I don't have to understand how. See, it got me from here to there, from there to here, and here I am preaching. But honestly, I don't know how. I have an iPad, and I put my notes on my iPad. I turn on my iPad, and the notes appear on my iPad. I preach to you. I understand, you know, what button to push, and I push it. I know what letters to type, so I type them. But as to how the words appeared on the iPad, I don't know how. But it didn't stop me from preaching. It didn't stop me from working. And there may be somebody watching today who's in a situation where you don't know how. God, I'm not smart enough. God, I wasn't trained for this. God, I've never been this way before. God, this is new to me. God, I feel like a rookie. Can I preach to you this morning, Light City? You don't have to know how when you know who. He is, he is the Lord of the harvest. The seed is mine, but the harvest is his. And I don't know, have to, I don't have to know how, I just have to sow. So don't let what you don't know keep you from sowing. The farmer didn't know how it was going to happen, but he knew what to do. I got to keep sowing. I got to keep praying. I got to keep believing. I got to keep coming to church. I got to be present. I got to show up. Come on, touch somebody in your house today and tell them that you don't have to know how, right? You don't know, you don't have to know how. 
Jesus said, I will, I will make you fishers of men. All I need from you is your boat. All I need is your will. All I need is your want to. All I need is your surrender. All I need is your obedience. But you stop sowing because you didn't know how. And let's get this. Let's get this in our spirit. Say this. Say, I don't have to know how. I could be like Abraham, who set out from Ur without knowing where he was going. He didn't have to know how, because he knows who, right? Are you getting the lesson, right? And it's not just in this one text. It's the principle of this parable. That is, it's the illustration. The kingdom of God is like a man who sowed, and he did. So notice, there is a part that you play. But once you do what you know, there is a point that you reach where you can't make it rain and you can't control the rate of growth of the seed. And there are so many people who will hear this message who are waiting to know before you sow. And it's, it's so much out of order. And you know, as much as I wanna preach to you theologically right now, I just wanna minister to you personally. The dirt knows what to do. God knows what to do because the greatest growth happened. Catch this. Not when the farmer was doing his part, but when the dirt was doing its part, right? There's a cooperation that happens in each of our lives. It's between the things that we can control, right? I can plow and I can water, and I can sow, right? I can speak words of encouragement. I can speak words of life. I can invest my resources into the kingdom of God. I can do all that. But the part that produces the fruit is not attributed to the farmer in this passage. And I think we fall into an extreme where we either think it's all about what we know or it's all about what God does in the passage. The farmer scatters, but the soil produces, right? And the dirty little secret, right, if I can use that phrase in church, is that the kingdom of God, right? Jesus is comparing a seed, right? Your identity, right? That your wonder will be revealed in the wild. And what do I mean by this? You know, the wounds, the insecurity, the loss, and the disappointment, right? And if you check that out, it smells wild. The wounds, the insecurity, the loss, and the disappointment. Now this would be, you know, an excellent lesson on its own because it illustrates principles that will apply to any area of your life. And right here, you know, we could tell you to make lemonade out of your lemons. And right here we can tell you, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you fall down, you know, that when you get knocked down nine times that you just got to get up 10, you know, and, and we can say anything we want right here. And the principle would be powerful, but this is not a principle. This is a parable and a parable is a picture that appears simple on the surface, but carries a deeper meaning. When I read the, this passage of scripture in the past, I thought that the farmer was Jesus and the seed was the word of God. But the problem with this interpretation of the parable upon further reflection and study 
is that Jesus can't be the farmer because the farmer doesn't know how. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So to compare Jesus to the farmer who scatters the seed is to miss the, the parable that's beneath the principle. The principle is this. Don't let what you don't know stop you from sowing. But the parable, the picture that Jesus is painting is of something that hasn't happened yet, right? Everybody around him in his inner circle, which, right, he has just selected one chapter before this in Mark chapter three, everyone around him is trying to do their best to keep him from going to the cross, right? For him, for him to go to the cross means the death of the movement that they thought he came to initiate. And so when he stood before the judges, right, both the Jewish and the Roman, he was silent, scripture says, as a sheep before the shears. Everything in those disciples wanted to see Jesus, you know, come down from the cross to avoid being buried in the grave. But Jesus stood before Pilate and he allowed those accusations to be heaped on him, even though he was innocent. Why? Because he knew that the dirt had a purpose to fulfill, that there was wonder in the wild. And so as he stood before those who accused him, condemned him, sentenced him to die, he could have stopped it all, right? The scripture says that he could have called down legions of angels to come and, and rescue him from this rejection. But this is what he came for. So he said with his silence, something that is illustrated in the parable. He said, I'm not afraid of the wild. I'm not afraid of getting a little bit dirty because the dirt knows what to do. Because if they accuse me, then my father in heaven doesn't have to accuse you. So I'm gonna take your accusations and I'm gonna take your shame. I, the innocent, I'm going to absorb your punishment so that you, the guilty, can go free. So when they heap their accusations on Jesus, he took it. And when he died on the cross and they took him down from the cross and they buried him in the grave, he didn't resist the burial. Ah, oh, this is so good. Instead, he stayed dead three days. Now we thought, and they thought they were attending a funeral, but really, ah, oh, this is good. It was an agricultural lesson because Jesus was not buried on Friday, he was planted. And now because he was planted on Friday, there's an expectation of harvest. So when he laid in the grave, it wasn't over, it was just the beginning. And I came to declare to everybody who's trying to discover your God identity, but you've been going through a season of failure or going through a season of depression or of uncertainty or of rejection or of disappointment. Don't fight it. Don't quit on it. And don't pluck up the seed because just because you don't like the season. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's wild. And there's nothing man can do to you that God cannot use for his good. And I believe that, that all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. But I don't always know how. I don't have to know how. Why? 
because I know who. I mean, the emphasis on Romans 8.28 isn't on that all things work together for the good. The emphasis is not on good because it might not feel good. And I might not know how it's good while I'm in the middle of it. The emphasis in Romans chapter 8.28 is that I'm called, that I love God, and that I'm called according to his purposes. So his purpose is the promise. I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I don't have to know how. I don't know who God is going to use to get me through this, but I don't know how. I don't have to know how. It might be manna that falls from the sky. It might be the widow at Zarephath that God uses to feed me. It might be a little boy's lunch that I didn't even count in the official total because I thought he was insignificant. But the seed always looks small. I mean, God might use a little boy, a little thing. I mean, the littlest thing. I don't have to know how God does it, but some of you are stuck because you need to know too much. You need to be someone who's perceived as someone who knows, and so you remain in darkness. You know, you, you want to be perceived as someone who understands things, but the soil represents uncertainty. And I think it's good for us every once in a while, you know, for us to hear a sermon where the farmer admits I don't even know how. Come on, because if you had to call the family of George Floyd, you know, after this absolutely unspeakable tragedy has happened, and you were telling them that God is going to get you through this, you wouldn't be so quick to tell them how. I don't know how, but I pray right now in the name of Jesus that the God of all comfort, that's whom, would surround you with his angels. I don't know how, but I know whom I have believed. So I scatter. Some seed gets snatched, some seed gets scorched, and some seed gets strangled. And the temptation is when the seed is scattered, but it doesn't produce, you never want to sow again. So then you prayed and the business still failed, what's to make you ever want to pray again? So you stopped sowing. You stopped expecting. You know, you filed for bankruptcy and you stopped expecting a harvest. The divorce, it still happened. That one child is still on drugs. And you got very confused about the difference between God's job and your job. Obedience, can I tell you this morning, is the job of the farmer. And Jesus is not the farmer in this parable. He's actually the seed. He's the seed of God. And he was planted in the soil of the earth for three days. And his resurrection gives us an expectation that we don't have to understand the events of our life to walk in our God identity. I think it's better actually sometimes that we don't know. I think it's better sometimes that we stay in a state of uncertainty so that we don't get confused. And I pray that this message has been a practical message for you today, and you'll be able to take something from it. 
you know, for your life. But really, I think this morning, as we close out this series, I think that this message is supposed to be prophetic, right? And, and that doesn't mean that I'm going to pull out a crystal ball or tell you to call a 900 number. To me, that means that you receive this seed personally, right? It's all about the soil. And if this seed, right, this month of Madewell gets snatched or scorched by the trials of life or choked out by the deceitfulness of riches, you know, the cares of this life or the desire for other things, it will be as if it was never sown. You know, it will be just another seed, just another, if I might say so, great pep talk, just another Bible lesson. But if you receive this seed though, and, and I'm trying to tell you that God has set you free of the expectation to understand. Obedience is your job. Outcome is God's. And some of you are in the dirt stage right now of your dream. And the first thing that happened to Joseph, right, when God gave him a dream, right? Do you remember we talked about this last week? Is that, you know, they held this great parade in his honor, you know? No, it was that, you know, he printed up business cards and started to hand them out. No, you know, that he got 4 million followers on Instagram. Nope. It says that when he got a dream, they threw him in a pit. What? Can I tell you this morning? Every promise needs a pit. Every dream needs some dirt. Your faith needs fertilizers. And all by itself, the ground produces. And I want to pray for some people right now in this moment who have needed this word today because you've got something in the ground in your life. If it's you and you're not ashamed to respond to the word of God, you know, and you don't need to appear to have it all together, you know, that if you're in a situation in your life right now where you don't know how, you don't know how it's going to come together, you don't know what to do, you don't know why you've been positioned to do what you've been told to do, that your responsibility exceeds your experience. If that's you today, I'm gonna ask you to respond right now in the chat. I find that there's something that happens to us when we respond externally of something God is doing internally. And if that's you, I'm just gonna ask you right now to bow your head and close your eyes just as we take this moment of privacy and concentration as we close out this Madewell series, I know you, like me, don't want to leave any seed in the bag. But we want to sow everything, everything to do with our identity, everything to do with our purpose. We want to put that in the ground. So if that's you, like I said, I'm just going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, this morning as we sit together, so many of us in so many different situations in our life, but so many of us finding ourselves as we have stepped out on the dream, stepped out into identity, we found ourselves in a position of, I don't know how. I don't know how to start this business. I don't know how to find a spouse. I don't know how to raise these children. I don't know how to get free from this addiction. I don't know how to forget about all this past pain. I don't know how to move beyond my traumas and tragedies. But this morning, Father, we say that even though we don't know how, 
we know who, that you are the God of the harvest. You are the God who has the ability to turn everything around for our good. We thank you for that this morning. We ask that you'd open up our eyes to see. We declare that we have the mind of Christ, that we think like you, we see like you, we act like you, we obey like you, we talk like you, we walk like you, we expect like you. We declare, Heavenly Father, this morning that this month, this made well month, God, that will be forever changed in Jesus' name. And really quickly before I close, I want to invite you. Maybe you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you haven't heard about him. Maybe you've had bad experiences. Maybe people or organizations have tainted your view of the goodness of God. And you're hearing me talk about a God who knows us, who sees us, who wants to be with us. And you say, I want to know that God. I'm going to invite you really quickly to pray a prayer, repeat a prayer after me. Scripture tells us very clearly that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died to take our place, to become sin so that we could become righteous, that we would be saved. So I'm going to invite you really quickly just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I ask for your forgiveness for the areas of my life where I have missed it. And I thank you for your sacrifice that now it covers the sins of my life. I declare I am saved. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life. Lead me, guide me, direct me, use me, change me, mature me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with us right now, I mean, you can't see it. You know, technically I can't see it either, but I know for sure that our entire Light City family is rejoicing with you. We are so glad that you have made the decision to follow after Jesus. It's truly the greatest adventure of your life. Scripture tells us that heaven is throwing celebrations because you've decided to give your life to Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, would you mind send us an email and let us know that you have made this decision? Info at golightcity.com. We'd love to be able to get some resources into your hands to help you begin to walk out this journey. One other thing that we're so excited to announce is that right now there's links below in our description. If you heard this message and you prayed that prayer and you'd like to talk to somebody or you'd like further ministry, right below in our link, there's a link that you can connect to that will give you an opportunity to receive ministry by one of the leaders here at Light City. Well, that being said, that's all we got for you today. I mean, I think that's enough. I hope that you were blessed not only today, but this whole month of Made Well. I mean, it was life-changing, and I pray that each of you don't just hear the Word, but we become doers of the Word. God bless you. We love you. We can't wait to be back together. And remember, you were made well. God bless you guys.